Thank you, Mike, for having us over here at St. Anthony. Yeah, happy to be here. It's going to be awesome. Now, what is your role here at St. Anthony? I am the director of evangelization. Fancy title. Uh, basically, I'm in charge of all faith formation and sacrament prep. So whether we're talking marriage, infant baptism, RCIA, uh, youth ministry, children's faith formation, uh, all of it, adult faith formation, it all fun, falls under me and in whatever way. Yeah. Wow. So that's a, that's a lot of balls to juggle. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty nuts. It's pretty nuts. We have uh, when COVID happened. So I was just the director of marriage preparation, marriage kind of enrichment uh-huh. and uh, adult faith formation. And then when COVID happened, we lost a bunch of people and reorganized and all this. So I got all of faith formation under me, including youth and ministry and all that. So basically I always tell people womb to tomb, but if it's your funeral, that's not another guy. Yeah, I like, I back out of it. It's another guy. Yeah. And how long have you been here? Uh, it's a tricky question. It's a tricky question because I was a teen here. I moved here in uh, November of 1998 from Oklahoma. Uh-huh. And uh, I started coming here in confirmation classes in January of 99. So you've been here on and yeah. off. So as a high school student, I was here. Life team uh-huh. was here, all this stuff. Then I went to college, and then I came here as an employee. I was a youth minister, uh-huh. full-time, did that for three and a half years, got my master's degree, was in two different churches, one in Austin and one in um, St. Lawrence and Sugarland. And then they called me up and uh, called me up to the big leagues. They said, I uh, want you to be uh, adult faith formation. So I've Gotta been doing be the adult show. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> uh, no more liability forms. No, thank you. Um, but I've been doing uh, adult faith formation uh, here for the last eight years. So pretty much for the better part of your life, you've been somehow associated with St. Anthony. Yeah, I think it's wow. almost, it's about 15 years total, depending on my, yeah. Yeah. Is your family Catholic? Yes. Yeah. My mom was the DRE of our church growing up in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. So she was in charge of uh, of all the things that I'm in charge of now. So really? after all these years, <laughs> I am my mother. Uh, but uh, yeah, so she had that job. My dad was in the Knights of Columbus. They were all super active. They would go to things like um, weekly Bible studies or small faith communities or whatever they call them, um, women's club nights, all that. And super active, relatively small church in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. Um and yeah, and and I've been uh, you know went to undergrad at Franciscan for philosophy and theology, and then I got a grad degree in theology. So nerding out about this stuff. Since you I have uh, brothers and sisters. I have two older brothers, but I don't count them. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I got two older brothers. Uh, one is two years older than me, lives here in Spring, works for UPS. The other okay. one is ten years older than me, teaches at a Catholic school in uh, Salina, Kansas. He's a football coach, basketball. Coach. He does all the coaching, all the things. Uh-huh. I do none of the sports as is evident. But uh yeah. What brought you all here to to Texas? The thing that brings everyone to Texas, oil. Okay. Oil and gas. My dad was <laughs> a part uh so my parents are from inner city Philadelphia, like the inner Kensington and Allegheny. And okay. uh the old K and A as they call it. The old K and A over by the L train. When we watch Rocky, <laughs> it's like a biopic for them. It's so funny. There's a scene in Rocky where the girl, this little young girl is screaming and Rocky walks up and he's like Hey, yo, what are you doing? She's like, shut up, creepo. And my parents get in this huge fight every time we watch it because they're like, oh, that's over by Sal's over on 4th Street. And they're like, nah, Tur, that's over by Jay's on 8th Street. And they have this, no, you can see the L train so over they there. they have that accent. Oh, yeah. And it comes out when they argue or uh-huh. when their brothers and sisters come. But Oh, that's um, hilarious. Yeah, so my dad worked for an oil company that moved him from Philly to Delaware, Delaware to Tulsa. Tulsa was the main thing. Tulsa drillers and all that's a big oil town. And then eventually... Uh, came here to Houston. So, so where were you born? I was born in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Okay. So yeah. you didn't go to Delaware or. I didn't do any of that. that. My brother Brian is the only one that did that. Okay. Yeah. So, so I'm an Okie. 
Yeah, my parents, they met in uh, Philadelphia as well. Oh, nice. Yeah, they went, they dated in, uh, I think it was uh, Hershey Park. They go there, <laughs> they go on dates at Hershey Park. Very cool, very cool. The only thing I've done, I've been to Philly twice, and I ran the steps of the museum and jumped up and down with the Rocky statue. Oh, of course, you got to do that. Yeah, yeah, deeply, yeah. So you were born in Oklahoma. Yeah. And then how old were you when you came here to Houston? 16, 16. 16 already? Yeah. How, what was your early faith formation like and your faith in Oklahoma growing up. You know, Oklahoma is interesting. My time there was at St. Anne's in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. If you go there now, it's a diocesan parish. But when I was there, it was a Polish Franciscan mission church. Okay. So essentially uh, during World War II, a Nazi concentration camp in Poland was liberated by a group of troops from, of all places, Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. Wow. And I I mean, the the priests had the the tattoos on their arm, all that stuff. Father Robert and Father Wenceslas. And uh, Miss Myron, who's a consecrated virgin. And they all came over to the States out of a debt of gratitude. They got permission to do a mission parish in Oklahoma. Uh And they basically lived the life of Francis. They begged, got the money. They built the church out of money that they, like, yeah, that they just begged for. It's an incredible story. But so they built it. Yeah. It's incredible. In the middle of nowhere at that time, Broken Arrow was. Uh, mostly a rural suburb of Tulsa, um, undeveloped at that time, but slowly starting to 50s, 60s, 70s. Really, it was just like any other small Midwestern town. It had a main street. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a 30-minute drive to the big city. Um, <laughs> but when I was there, it was suburb, you know, whatever. And uh, it was fascinating because the Ku Klux Klan used to burn crosses in front of our church because they were Polish and they were Catholic. Wow. So they're like immigrant, all that stuff. So, uh, but then all these... All these uh, northerners come down and move into the area because uh-huh. of the oil industry. Yeah. And it's so funny because, like, I grew up in a very uh, – yeah, I mean, like, I did not grow up in rural Oklahoma. Okay. I grew up in a suburb where people from New York and Philly and, yeah. like, all that. So they were all over the place. So, uh-huh. yeah. Yeah, I was not I, – I don't really consider myself – in a weird way, I do, but I don't really consider myself an Oklahoman because there's none of that Oklahoma culture. If there was any culture, it was a Philly culture in a suburban environment, right? Okay. Yeah, it's kind of weird. It's kind of weird. Now, what was your faith like personally? You said your mom was heavily involved in the church. Yeah. Were you involved as well, or were you a bit of a rebel? Nah, I was not a rebel. I was not a rebel. I was so not you, a rebel you, at all. You followed? I was a good kid, uh, too cowardly to do anything wrong, so I'm not a rule breaker. Uh-huh. Uh, my brother, Chris, the middle child, as is his job, <laughs> was a rule breaker. Um I, being the baby of the family, have had everything handed to me. You know, everything was good. Life was good. I had nothing to complain about. Uh-huh. Um, but honestly, my faith, it, it's kind of funny because I was always somewhat into my faith. But I had a crisis in ninth grade. Uh, mm. I wanted to become Muslim. Um, really? Yeah. I began to study. I didn't tell a lot of people this, but I began to study Islam on my own at home, like quietly. Like I get books and read and uh-huh. stuff. And, uh, Shiite Islam resonated with my Catholicness because they have like shrines and all that stuff. Okay. Um, And then, so it really drove me to the question of whether or not God was real and whether or not God had a religion. And Uh that's where my faith, I would say, became intellectualized. So Mm. in a, in a good way, Um, I began to read stuff and I found um, Islam uh, to my ninth grade brain to be altogether lacking. And only the Trinitarian theology of Christianity made sense to me because the question was, what was God doing? Before creation, uh-huh. right? What, what did he do? Uh, Aristotle said, like, why would God create? Why does the universe exist? Well, they, I mean, like, if it's necessary, 
then God's not God because then creation itself is completing something lacking in God. If God was bored, if he was tired, if he was looking for something fun to do on the weekends, <laughs> right? But if God is eternal self-giving love from all eternity, then creation that it exists obviously is a given, but why it exists would be nothing other than his sovereign freedom and his love. Mm-hmm. He chose but he didn't have to. Yes. And to me, only the Christian witness fully explains that. Because if you have God without the Trinity of persons, you don't have an object of divine love. Right? And you came to all this whole realization. When I was ninth and 10th grade. Wow. Right? Now, not on my own. I was reading and, you know, uh-huh. my um, father, uh, oh, man, I can't, I'm blanking on his name right now. He ended up leaving the Franciscans, becoming a Navy priest. And this guy who I have another podcast that I do. He is a fan of that podcast, and he's like, oh, that priest is who brought me into the church in the uh-huh. Navy. So, nice. And now he's become a priest. It's a crazy story. But um, he ta- he had these lectures. My parents had a video cassette tape of uh, philosophy of God. And I remember watching two of them. Didn't understand 90% of it, but what I did understand changed the trajectory of my life. And then, yeah, it kind of was intellectual from there on out. And at this point, it was like right around the time of your confirmation, I suppose. Yeah, so that's funny. So uh, I moved uh, my, so I started homeschooling myself. Okay. So, you know, like most people, right? I show up at uh, two o'clock in the morning after a ZZ Top concert in Oklahoma City, <laughs> tell my mom that I got in okay. Uh-huh. And then I told her that at two o'clock in the morning, I'm like, hey, I'm home and I want to homeschool for next year. And she's like, what? <laughs> and she's like, looking over at me, she said, but what about prom? That was her only, that, that was, was her, her only, you know, like, what about prom? <laughs> and I was like, I, I don't know. We'll jump that hurdle when we come to uh-huh. it. But since I was the safe religious kid, church kid, I had uh, too many proms. I had, I had went to tons of proms and homecomings. Also. Uh-huh. But I began homeschooling myself. And then in the middle of homeschooling, we moved from Tulsa to Houston. Uh-huh. And that's really hard being homeschooler because <laughs> the way you make friends is through, through yeah. school mostly, right? Yeah. You're the new kid. Uh, People yeah. introduce themselves. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, instead what I did was I got a job. And because I was homeschooled, I could work during the day, and they needed someone that worked during the day. And I worked at <clears throat> Peter Piper Pizza. <laughs> Peter Piper Pizza, this is your great place for birthday parties. This is Gomer. How can I help you? <laughs> and I answered the phone that way. So I worked there, made friends there, and youth group. So I came here to St. Anthony's. They started this thing I've never heard of called Life Teen. I became uh-huh. super active in youth ministry, a little too active. I was crazy. I was everywhere. Because um, you had the time. Yeah, I had the time. And Barbara Beale, uh, who I work with now, but she she was would eventually become my boss in youth ministry, but she was my youth minister at the time. She was like, she recognized the talent, and she's like, yeah, go teach. Go teach classes. Uh-huh. Go do this. And so she would let me do all that stuff. So it was awesome. At any point, did you consider um, priesthood? Because, I mean, didn't you, I the consider, way you talk about it, yeah. it, you know, intellectually, you've got a great grasp on it. It's been a part of your life. Have you? Yeah. Did you discern at any point? So I did and poorly and only when I was dating. <laughs> so if you talk to my now wife, uh, then girlfriend, we broke up uh-huh. like four or five times because of my dis- quote unquote discerning. Oh, you know that there's a joke about discernment that people tell. It's the moment I discovered discernment, I stopped making decisions. And that was totally me. I was like, well, I'm discerning. I'm discerning. <laughs> and then I would get back together with her, and then i go discerning again. So it was awful. I was would, this throughout high school? No, this is in college. College this, already. This is after college. This is when I was a youth minister here full-time, and she was down at St. Lawrence in Sugarland. It was a train wreck. I'm a human trainer. I tell people all the time, I'm a good husband, uh-huh. but I'm a, great, I was a, wait, I'm a, I'm a good father, okay. a great husband, a terrible dater. <laughs> a terrible dater. Yeah, no bueno. Where did you go to college again? Uh, Franciscan say? University in the lovely Steubenville, Ohio. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. so, so Steubenville, the mothership. So you were there for the entire four years? 
Yeah, so I actually graduated in three and a half years. Okay. And then uh, and then I started taking graduate school. So in the third year, I started taking grad school classes. They had this mm. four plus one program where you could okay. walk out five years with a grad degree. Okay. So I started doing that philosophy. Then I started dating a girl, and I'm like, I can't put food on the table with philosophy. Only at Franciscan University is the is the question, well, I have to become a theology major in order to make ends meet, right? Like, no one thinks <laughs> that, right? But uh, at Franciscan, that was the idea. So um, I switched from, uh, I was philosophy, theology, undergrad. Okay. Because I still thought, like, what if I go to the priesthood? I got the theology and philosophy. Uh-huh. But um, when I went, I changed my graduate major into theology. And then um, started doing that immediately after I finished my undergrad. So my what would have been my sophomore year, senior year, uh-huh. I started, or sophomore, senior year, yeah, the, the spring semester, senior year, I began studying graduate school theology full-time. I did that during the summer, and then I ran out of money. So then I came here and was a youth minister. So literally, and then, then when we got engaged X amount of years later, uh, we went back, both of us, to finish our grad degrees um, three and a half years later, and I finished it a week before I got married, my last class. Wow. I had the last $75 in my name to buy gas to go from Steubenville, Ohio to St. Louis, Missouri. And one week later was married. Yeah. Wow. That's pretty nuts. And you guys decided to settle here and not over there? Yeah. So I, I it was funny because there was a lot of job uh, searches because I was in conversation with the Archdiocese of St. Louis to take over their Respect Life office. Okay. And it was awesome. They had me do several rounds of interviews, and I was super excited. And then they told me how much they were going to pay, and I just started laughing. I thought they were joking. <laughs> and I was like, youth ministers in the Diocese of Houston make way more than this. Uh-huh. Like, how am I supposed to raise a family on this? Like, yeah. I'm getting married. And yeah. they're like, well, a lot of our spouses work. And I was like, yeah, I get that. I don't care. Like, yeah. this, that is a justify. So uh, apparently now the wages are much better, but um, this was 14 years ago. So um, I instead was hired to be a youth minister in Austin, and okay. we were going to live there. They're providing housing. Oh, nice. Yeah, St. John Newman in Austin. A lot place. sweeter deal. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, about about $15,000 more and more or less free housing. So we did that for a year. We got pregnant, had a kiddo, and there was just this huge itch to be close to family. We weren't close to family at that time. And, um, and there was some other stuff that was kind of happening there that it was like, Hey, it's time to leave. And we got out of Dodge. So we went to St. Lawrence. My wife ran the, um, elementary faith formation program. Oh, and I tried to get my lay speaking job gig thing going. Okay. Tell people I was self-employed. Really? I was just unemployed. Um, that's where I started layevangelist.com. Okay. A website seen by dozens. And, uh, so I built up all that trying to be Mr. You know, want to be Scott Hahn next speaker. Okay. And I got like two gigs the whole year. So I was just stay at home. Dad, I was doing stuff on the side uh-huh. and it was funny because, uh, you know, we're trying to do all this, trying to make it work. We got pregnant with our second daughter. Don't know how that happened. And, uh, we tried, we tried everything and I was like, I need to go back to parish work. And my buddy that I was a core member for in middle uh-huh. school, he left to go join a religious order and they hired me in his place. So we, I, we mm. were both at St. Lawrence. Our kids were in their weekday children's program. Best possible situation. Yeah. Yeah. Buildings right there, you know, go back and forth throughout the day. My wife could nurse our babies, but, um, she just kept feeling this itch. I want to stay at home with the babies. And, uh, so we cut everything to the bone and, uh, I started doing, a, picking up a lot more speaking and traveling gigs. Uh-huh. And um, she was able to come home on a very tiny salary. And then we bought our first house, uh, sold it to us for a song. And it was an awesome house. And it was excellent. Excellent. Loved it. And then then I got the job up here. So 
And you moved you moved your family up here. Yeah. Was yeah, it I, tough I, uprooting? I, uh yes, it was. And no, it wasn't. So it was easier for me. Because this St. Anthony is my community. Yes. All my friends are up here. Yeah. My parents are up here. Uh-huh. Right. This is this is my area. My wife was coming here. Uh-huh. And so we had a bunch of friends that we were close with. Some of them started moving actually out of Sugarland and whatnot. And the housing market in Sugarland, we have been so blessed with the housing market. We rented an apartment, then we rented a house, then we bought this house. And the owners were like engineers and they would fix up their house with all sorts of cool updates. Oh, wow. The kitchen was brand new, remodeled, but they sold it to us so cheap. So I don't know why. And we hmm. buy this house uh, two, three years later when we sold it, we were the only house in a really coveted neighborhood because it has the best schools. Settlers Way Elementary, and I can't remember the high school. They're just the highest rated schools in the Sugarland area. So all these people wanted that. So uh-huh. we, I mean, people were paying us cash and way over asking value and all this. <laughs> so it provided the cushion for us to transition up to up to the woodlands and find a new place. You know, we always have this joke. Um, if you live in the woodlands, you probably work downtown. If you yes. work in the woodlands, you probably live in Conroe. So I lived in Conroe. Um, and then we just moved actually during this crazy housing market. We just moved oh, from, wow. from Conroe to Magnolia. It's actually gets us all. It's I'm, I'm like eight minutes away here from oh, St. Anthony's. That works. Um, yeah. And it's awesome. It's a game changer. I tell people all the time, live as close as you can to work. Oh, yeah. It is such a game changer. When I uh, Like at St. Lawrence, I used to have breakfast, lunch, and dinner at home every day. <laughs> <laughs> Every unless it was like an office, go out to eat, and it was I was with my kids all the time. Or if you forget something at home, it's so easy. Which to... I do all the time. <laughs> was, I remember one day I was like giving a talk, and I was like, "Let me just get out my Bible where all my notes are, and it's at home." Okay, in a bathroom break, I will go home and get my Bible. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, it's awesome. So we live in a house here. We bought it during this crazy housing market. You know, it was it, everything is weird, but it worked out. So we are we are debt free. We have a good house. We live close to church. Uh, our friends, my wife, all of my friends quickly became her friends and her dear friends. And um, it has been um, just a huge game changer. I always tell people, you know, move for community. Don't move mm-hmm. for money. Money is important, right? Obviously. Yeah. But, but move for community. Yeah. Like my wife and I, we we always talk about, you know, oh, what if we moved? I was like, oh, I don't know. We're just so tied to St. Faustina. Yeah. It's hard to yep. to let go of that those ties that you have, you know, friends, family, the priests, and yep. and all of that. Yeah. Now, you are working here now mm-hmm. in charge of faith formation. Yeah. What um what challenges have you had during your stay here? You know, I live in the woodlands, right? Like the woodlands. That's the challenge. <laughs> the challenge is the woodlands. There are some of the most amazing people and also some of the most difficult people because they're all type A. They're all professionals. They're all uh, like advanced degrees and yes. make the buku dollars. Uh-huh. So I would say the hardest thing to deal with is you also, on, on top of the, some of the most amazing people I've ever met in my life, you have to deal with the masses of Catholics who are consumers, right? And they come to the church and to them, it, the sacraments are um, a culture thing, a life thing, a whatever thing, but they're not something that convicts them of their faith, right? Oh. Infant baptism, first communion, even marriage, uh-huh. uh, all of these things are just cultural milestones or things grandma wants or mom wants or whatever. And there comes with that a massive entitlement. Mm-hmm. No one likes entitlement. And dealing with folks who treat the sacraments like they're paying for them. So oh, it's wow. like Burger King, you know, have it your way. And it's like, no, no, no. The, the church asks of you to be well disposed to receiving Holy Communion or to mm-hmm. go to confession, or to be married, or whatever. Uh-huh. So I, um, so in, in my department, the Department of Evangelization, we have a motto. 
and our our vision statement, our mission, our motto, whatever you want to call it, uh, is to evangelize everyone who is within our the boundaries of our church, right? So the evangelization of all God's people, right, whether they're Catholic or not. And then the other side of that is to uphold and defend the dignity and power of the sacraments, because the sacraments are the way that Christ imparts His divine grace to us, mm-hmm. right? And so. So many people lose sight of, like, when we cheapen the sacraments, when we give them away, when we, I'm going to use a very controversial phrase for some people, when we cast our pearls before swine, right, when we let people use and abuse the sacraments, turns out when you cheapen it, it becomes worthless. When you make it easy, it becomes what uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, it's it's cheap grace, right? You have forgiveness without confession or repentance. It's like, no, you don't. Uh-huh. You have to humble yourself, accuse yourself of sin, be honest in your accusation, and confess your sin. And what I realize is there's a lot of people who use, who think that they're evangelizing, but what they're doing is they're using Jesus to engage in a, a sociological a sociological project of inclusion. Inclusion is important. The church, every mm-hmm. tribe, nation, tongue belongs to the kingdom of heaven. Yes. But you you can only enter the sheepfold through the gate. Right. You can only come in one way. Anyone, uh-huh. Jesus says, who comes in any other way is a robber and a thief. And so the idea is we have to humble ourselves, right? We have to get low in order to encounter our Lord. And that means baptism. And the church has all these rules and regulations about baptism, but it, their rules and regulate uphold the dignity of the sacrament. So that's what I try to do. Uh-huh. And so we do these deep investigations into the Code of Canon Law, Catechism of the Catholic Church, the theology, the pastoral manuals of our archdiocese. To understand why the church asks of us what she asks. Why is it that at your six, you can get an infant baptism, but if you're seven, now you got to go through the RCI and it's going to take you a year, right? Uh-huh. Like all these things. Like, uh, and, and so the hardest thing is when you're teaching, like, say, First Communion, you got all these parents filling up this church, right? We got 400, yes. 400 parents and kids because all of our evangelization that we do that's large group is family centered, right? Mm-hmm. So imagine evangelizing and you're saying like, hey, kids, you're preparing for First Holy Communion. So this means you have to go to communion every single Sunday and Holy Day of ob- Obligation. Mm-hmm. And the parents like literally two rows in front of you roll their eyes. Like, ugh, come on. Uh, people say wow. things like, you know, I uh, it's just so hard for me. It's like impossible for me to get to mass more than once a month. And I'm like, no, it's not. If you just shop around to the neighborhood parishes, right? Yeah. There's like 30 communion time or uh, mass times that you can go yeah. to between Saturday evening and Sunday evening. Yeah. Go to masstimes.com. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And- <laughs> yeah. All it takes, though, is the word that we don't want to assign. We'll assign it to our kids' sports activities. We'll assign it to our job, but we won't assign it yeah. to the thing that endures to eternal life, which is that word is priority. Mm-hmm. That which comes prior, that which comes first. And uh, when people don't do that, that's when my staff, pass their information to me, and then I call them and have the uncomfortable conversation. Hey, you don't practice. Your godparents don't practice. You have impediments to your to your, to your your own reception communion because you're in a, a non-valid marriage. Um, we're not going to – we're going to delay the baptism of your infant. Oh, wow. Right? No one wants to hear that. Yeah. Right? No one wants to hear that because it's a cons- – like, who the heck are you? And that's a tough conversation to have. It is. It is. For which you, is, Which too. is why – yeah, absolutely. Which is why I tell my staff, like – the moment you come to that point, just give it to me. Give it to me. Uh-huh. Let me be the bad guy. But this is what I do, and this is what I think the difference is. You can have a lot of churches where they're jerks. Oftentimes, churches where the church staff are jerks has nothing to do with the actual dignity of the sacrament. It has everything to do with their own bureaucratic thing. Uh-huh. Um, I don't care about being uh, upfront and and firm about what the church asks of us for the sacraments. But here's the difference. 
when I call those people and say, listen, you know, first I state facts and then mm-hmm. I invite them to challenge my interpretation. So, hey, you know, you, you, you're not married in the church. None of your kids are baptized. Uh, your godparents, none of them are baptized. None of them are practicing. They admit none of them are practicing. They need all convalidations, all this stuff. Uh, we're going to delay, not deny, but delay the baptism of your child until uh-huh. you're a practicing family. Uh huh. And then, you know, okay, I could leave it at that. And I, I think I'm, I'm on somewhat good standing. But you have to go the extra step. Then you have to evangelize. So I say, so I go to the 9 o'clock mass. I would love for you to come and sit with my family because most people who don't go to mass regularly don't have community here. So yeah. then the next step is, yeah. well, then I'll, I'll take the first step. I'll, I'll introduce you to people. You know, we got a, a Spanish mass. Um, a, a lot of people who don't have like their adult confirmation emigrated to the United States during the time when they would have done it at home. Okay. So yes. a lot of Hispanic um, youth, a lot of young adults, I, I'd have a lot of people that are in my adult confirmation class. But they're like, well, we couldn't get married in the church because such and such priest said you have to be confirmed first. I'm like, number one, that's not true. It's encouraged but not required. Number two, okay, let's get married. Let's get confirmed. Let's do this. I'll do this. Uh Come meet with me. Well, I can't meet during the class time. Then I'll meet with you one-on-one. Let's do this thing. Uh Right. So the the problems that I see a lot in the Catholic Church is whenever we put up a barrier, a a purposeful barrier, uh, we then say, wow, now the ball's in your court. Go figure it out. And it's like, no, 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 no. I'm going to figure this out with you. That's the accompaniment of Pope Francis. So yeah, I'm all about like I'm all about telling people no because the sacrament matters, mm-hmm. right? The sacrament matters. It's literally Jesus, body, blood, soul, and divinity. Yes. Why are you gonna lie about getting com- so that you can get communion for your kid? Why lie? This is this- idiot. <laughs> I lose. I lose so much sleep over this. So, <laughs> do you, you come home ranting to your wife at night sometimes? All the time. <laughs> all the time. Honey, you will never believe. So my wife, funny enough, um, during COVID. Um, my wife stepped in as the interim SAC prep coordinator, part-time role. I wasn't in charge of it at the time. Okay. And then I took over it and I'm like, well, now I'm employing my wife. This is awkward. So uh-huh. she is actually on Fridays her last day. So she quit on me. That's great. I love it. Uh, <laughs> but no, we're, we're hiring some, a new wonderful okay. person who's going to be, uh, who's bilingual English and Spanish. Oh, it's going to be so powerful for our community to oh, have yeah. people who can speak to the parents and whatnot. And, um, because that's the big stumbling block that we have in a big parish like this is our Spanish speaking community, um, used to be all almost entirely bilingual oil people from Colombia and Mexico. Yeah. Right. Venezuela and they, yeah, or, yeah, well, uh-huh. so this is the deal. This is the funny thing that's shifted in the last four years. It's predominantly Hondurans and Venezuelans. And the different, the major difference with that is they're, they are not now two home families beforehand for years of our parish. Uh, at the one o'clock mass, when summertime hit, the numbers dropped because they're two home families. They maintain their home back in Mexico uh-huh. or back in Colombia. They get on a plane, they go home for summer, they get their visas, and then they come back in the in, during the school year and the kids go to school here and stuff. So often the husbands are bilingual, the children are bilingual. If the wives are stay at home, they don't, they're probably not bilingual. Okay. So we do a lot of daytime Spanish Bible studies and stuff. Okay. But now our community, uh, it was funny, one of our friends, uh, one of our um, my coworkers here, Gabby, she said, I didn't realize it till July, but the mass attendance in the summertime hasn't gone down. Mm. I'm like, what do you mean? And she said, no one's going home. Home. Uh These are one home people. Yeah. I'm like, the demographics have shifted. And of that group of people, very few of them are bilingual. So it's a totally demographic shift. So when it comes to First Communion especially, when the kids are in high school going through confirmation – the high school kids can generally be the translator. The yeah, media. yeah. The second graders can't. You can't. You can't ask yeah. them to be translating on the. Fly. It's just rudimentary stuff yeah. For yeah. when it comes to them. Yeah. Yeah. 
Wow. Yeah. So there's so, a lot of obstacles. There's a lot of good things, but there's room for growth. So so yeah. you said your wife quit. Is there a shift, a change in uh, career going on? or She just, she just wants to be stay at home. We homeschool. We have four kids. We homeschool the four, four kids. Four kids now. Okay. Yeah. yeah, four kids now. That's, two that's girls, two boys, Katiri, Cecilia, Noah, Thomas. All four of them are so completely different. It is shocking. <laughs> it is shocking. Uh yeah, my my two my second and my fourth definitely have their dad's ADHD, which is so fun. <laughs> so fun. But um yeah, they're so different and they're so wonderful. But uh we homeschool, we've been homeschooling since my oldest, Katiri, who's twelve, was in kindergarten. We decided that we wanted to do it. Um we had them in the weekday children's program here, the excuse me, the little saints program here. So they had it. We try to get all of our kids to go through it, uh-huh. like, hey, here, come do this daycare thing for a couple hours a day. And uh and after that they were we just homeschooled and my wife has Fallen in love. So 12, and what are the other ages? 12, 11, uh, almost nine, and seven. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. so you got a couple of teenagers coming up now. Yeah, it's terrifying. <laughs> it's terrifying. Uh, what's the dynamic like now, you know, that you work here in the church and you're in charge of the faith formation and then, you know, your your kids are getting involved in, in stuff? What is that like? It's fun. It is fun for me. So my oldest two now are both in Anchor, which is our fifth and sixth grade youth ministry program. Uh-huh. So I will, um, I always volunteer to give talks and stuff. So the last two Anchor nights, they've asked me to give a talk. So I walk up there and immediately my girls are like, no, <laughs> no. And they always do this thing, which is so funny, where they're like, dad, don't say our names. You better not. Don't point don't, us out. Don't yeah. point us out. And so I don't. And they're like, how come you didn't put it there? <laughs> and I'm like, because you, I don't, maybe I don't want to be associated with you. Do you ever think of that? No. <laughs> so it's so funny. But, um, and then my, you know, my, now my youngest son has, is going through his first communion preparation. Uh-huh. So it is. So fun having them in here and you're doing stuff. So they're passing out the papers as people come in. They're a part of the process. You know, Kateri's been doing it for her siblings, you know. So it's fun. It's fun. It's beautiful. Um, we homeschool. So here at St. Anthony's, I love our faith formation. So we have a parish school. So you can get your faith formation that way. Okay. We have our weekly faith formation classes. So you can go to the classroom, have a catechist teacher or, mm-hmm. or youth ministry. Or you can home study. And our home study and our children's faith formation, um, we all use the same textbooks. So if you're a kid who's in class and maybe someone gets COVID or mom and dad's job changes, they can switch to home study, not skip a beat. Yeah. You know, it's good. Um, but within this, uh, the, the books that we use now that we teach, the Faith and Life series, that's what we use at home for homeschooling. So it's so awesome because uh, I love homeschooling and I love teaching the faith formation. So I that's what I do at home. So even though my kids don't come to my younger ones, don't come to children's, the weekly classes and we uh-huh. don't go to Catholic school, um, we're right on, on tracking with all of the, all the stuff that they do in the school. So it's, it's been, um, yeah, it's been awesome. I love it. One day my daughter was writing in cursive the Sanctus in Latin. Wow. And when she was in second grade, third grade working on her cursive. And I remember walking in, I go cursive. Latin prayers, three <laughs> things you don't find in public school. So, I always joke about that, but yeah, I love it. When you look at your kids, do you see any, you know, prospective uh, priests or sisters? Oh man. So my daughter Katiri desperately wants to be the next, uh, you know, famous actress, which I am discouraging <laughs> all the time. Um, but she, she loves to be the performer, right? Uh-huh. Uh, Cecilia is the reader. She's the more introspective one. Okay. Maybe, you know, but who knows? The Lord can use any personality. Mm-hmm. Noah is the athlete. He defines himself by his athletic prowess. 
Um, they're all smart kids, but uh, and Thomas is the wild child goofball, right? And so <laughs> all of them, I think, would make good religious, <laughs> or uh, or or my boys would make good priests. But um, you know, I it's it's funny. It's like the more I get to know priests, the more I see how radically different they are. Yes. And the funny thing was when I was growing up, my mom said I had priest hands. She thought I was going to be a priest. She's like, oh, I know you're going to be a priest. You have priest hands. And I was like, <laughs> what the heck does that mean? So one day I'm, I'm at an event with Father Mike Schmitz. Uh-huh. You know Father Mike Schmitz, yes. right? The handsomest priest ever. And uh, I'm sitting there and I'm talking with him. I tell him that story. And he goes, no, what does that mean? What does that even mean? Priest hands. <laughs> like priests only have one type of hand. What does that even mean? And I thought that, I mean, I was like dying laughing because of how offended he was. And I said, so I decided to add to it. And I said, oh, I think it means that these are hands that clearly have never done an honest day's work in their lives. <laughs> and he just like looked at me and I was like, I'm just kidding. And then he laughed. And he's a pretty big guy. He, too. Oh, he's Jack. Now that he's know, been doing he's CrossFit. Like, like, oh, yeah. Oh, man. I've seen his COVID social has media. Been good to him. Oh, boy. <laughs> he just can't have the best, uh, pot, the most famous podcast. He also has to have, <laughs> right? You know, the best biceps. It's fine. I'm not jealous. You're jealous. I'm not jealous. <laughs> now, you have, speaking of podcasts, yeah. here at St. Anthony, yeah. you all have a podcast. Could you tell me a little more? Yeah, it's fun. It's it. fun. So, me and Stephen Lanahan launched it. Oh, what was that? Three years ago, uh, Stephen used to be here, um, director of communications and development. And it was a great way to communicate like the vibrancy and life of the church. Cause a lot of people, uh-huh. like you hear the clergy stuff, you hear the homilies and yeah. mass announcements, like the mass stuff. Yeah. But unless you're in faith formation programs that we're leading, you're not really encountering other people on the staff, other, you know, you yeah. know you're just not encountering it. So the idea was we would go beyond the bulletin and you would encounter the people behind the bulletin and the events. And then we would do basically every so often we would do a show. We Uh would have a show of just me and him tackling a topic or we'd bring in uh, when we hired Josh Blakesley, who's a famous musician and and praise and worship leader. We would invite him in to talk about music and worship and all that stuff. Uh Um, We've had different um, staff members that we bring in an interview and it's been just so fun. So fun getting to know the people behind all the stuff. Um, I think my favorite is. With Cheryl, who is, we jokingly call her the token Protestant on staff. Uh, she's our bookkeeper, right? <laughs> okay. And she comes in and she just talks about her faith and her life and her church and all this stuff. And she's such, me and her share glory stories of what Jesus is doing in our ministries and stuff um, personally. And so that that podcast, a lot of people are like, I had no idea how awesome that woman was. So, uh-huh. so fun, so fun. But um, yeah, we've been doing it. We also do things where me and uh, Jay does, or Jay, uh, Nate does the interviewing with parishioners now, we've opened it up to different parishioners. We're doing this development council thing, deacons and their spiritual direction, mm-hmm. um, marriage life stuff that we do here. So they're they're expanding it out of parishioners, and I let Nate do all that. Whenever he's interviewing someone, that's just him. Okay. And then whenever he wants a show topic, it'll be me and him. Okay. And then we supplement it with um, choice homilies that that bubble up to the top of of our uh, our congregation. They're like, oh, I really like that one, so we'll play it for for the folks. So. Yeah. So it's different types of content yeah. on your podcast. Yeah. And that's called Beyond the Bulletin. Beyond the Bulletin. Yeah. And then that's available on, on any the, podcast. All app. the things. Yeah. We we officially, you know, it's a listed podcast. It's not just MP3 file, files, you know, on a web, <laughs> web page somewhere. But you can but, only go to the website to yeah, find the yeah, link. No, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> and how long has that. this been going? Four years now, I think. I think four years. I said question mark. Yeah. I think four. That's yeah, awesome. I love podcasts. I'm a podcaster. That's what that's one of my side hustles. So I have catching foxes that I do that I've been doing for six years. And then, what's that um, about? 
Catching foxes, what is that about? Uh, the the way I describe it is, so imagine you're at like a conference, a Catholic conference. Okay. And the speakers are hanging out afterwards and they're drinking some beers talking. Yeah. That's catching foxes. Okay. Right. So it's a, we, we'd say it's the discussion over instruction, uh-huh. right? So it's, it's not Catholic answers. We're not here to teach something. Um, and it's, uh, at the collision of faith and culture. So we do a lot of Marvel cinematic universe. We would do a lot of things that were happening you know, like we did one on, um, quiet quitting and, and workforce policies. We do stuff on, on all different things and we just kind of explore different stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. And he's a nonprofit. My buddy Luke, he's a nonprofit development guy. So he kind of talks about that stuff and I'm me and I talk about myself because I'm selfish. And then I have another podcast called Every Knee Shall Bow that I do with Ascension Press. And that's on mm. Catholic discipleship and evangelization. So I do that with another buddy, Dave Van Vickle. And we just talk about what does it mean to evangelize? What does it mean to be a disciple maker? What are obstacles to doing that? You know, yeah, it's fun. I talk all the time, if you can't tell. And I understand you were just shooting something yeah. earlier today. Oh, what, what's that all about? Oh, it's funny. So we do this prison ministry here, and I love it to death. It's called the Colby Prison Ministry. Mm. And you do these retreats, and it revolves around what um, used to be called Axe in Prison. So it's an Axe retreat okay. that they've adapted for prison use. Oh, and then wow. Because the prison is such a different kind of scenario, different beast, they, yeah. that it had to change a lot. And so the Colby ministry kind of draws its, um, its origin story from Axe, but- so what you do is you go on a retreat for you put on the retreat for these men in prison. Uh-huh. And then afterwards you do weekly meetings and stuff. So I go to the Ferguson unit. Um, it's a maximum security men's prison. Um, mm. Technically it's in the uh, diocese of Tyler, but it's like right on the border. And I was terrified. Didn't want to go at all. Oh, I'm, a, yeah. <laughs> I'm a homeschooler and a theology major from the suburbs, you know, not a lot of street cred, not a zero street. Yeah, cred. You uh, and you don't look like father Mike. No, so you, no, <laughs> I remember one day my mom said, Hey, when you go to the prison, how many guards do they have in the, in the chapel with you? And I said, one, and she sits in the back and my mom goes, one, she, you know, it just freaks out, but uh, I'll never forget showing up for the thing. And I didn't want to go. And they told them I was scared of them. And that was awesome. And they told them my name. So that's fun. So I show up 5 AM uh-huh. and the guy's passing out these, uh, deliverance from evil spirit prayers. And I'm like, Okay. And we pray it, and I go, what? why are we praying this? And they said, well, the Satanist group found out we're coming, and they've been, like, cursing us and all this stuff. And I just remember looking at this and looking up being like, uh, don't tell my wife. Do not tell my wife. <laughs> and then there's this big red sign right before you go through the last locked gate past the main point of security, and it says – and I remember I was so tired. I had to get up at 4, drive the hour uh-huh. there. It said, no hostages will be permitted past this point. Thank you, Department of Texas. <laughs> Criminal justice, whatever. And I'm staring at that. I'm like, why would someone take a hostage and bring it inside the prison? Uh-huh. And then as I'm walking through the gate and it's shutting behind me, I go, oh, no. If I become a hostage, <laughs> they're not going to let me out. And they're yeah. telling me as I'm going in, like, hey, buddy, this is it. No one's yeah. going no to ransom you for 12 pizzas and a helicopter. <laughs> like, you're stuck. And I remember being like, oh, dear Lord, I'm walking under. But it ended up being the greatest, one of the greatest moments of my life including my wedding, my birth of my kids, way better. I'm just kidding. But uh, <laughs> it's just a, this, this like crazy, amazing experience. And I went back year after year, um, and I was the guy who did the Q&A. Like, hey, uh, all these people are asking questions, you know. Uh-huh. And the first set of impromptu Q&As are like, why do you worship a cracker? You know, and oh, uh, wow. why, why do you worship Mary? And why do you have the Pope and all this stuff? 
Then after spending, you know, two days with these men, the questions were like, well, in, in, in Galatians, it says this. Why, what do you think Paul means wow. in this? So it went from telling me questions to asking me questions. Uh-huh. And they were honestly. And now I, whenever I show up at the prison, generally speaking, not every time, but most of the time, there's like the Jewish groups waiting for me. And we chit chat about Old Testament stuff. The Protestant chaplain's assistants who are the inmate guys. I can't remember their title. Field, field ministers. They're there and they're like, listen, we just had to study on Gnosticism. Can you tell me what Gnosticism is? And I'm like, can I? And so, <laughs> and uh, and it's fun. And then we just do a lot of Q and A's, and I give a talk on whatever topic. But what that happened, what it triggered in me was a realization that formation opportunities for Catholics and for non-Catholics who are just, what do Catholic churches, Catholic Church believe? You know, it's very minimal. There's not a lot of presence. So what I'm doing, what I was doing right before um, we started this interview, is I'm recording my uh classes so i have this thing called inclusion and it's for protestants who want to who are already baptized okay who want to become catholic okay right so it's different than the rci it's a modified form of the rci the church actually asks of this mm. of, of the church to a is people who are unbaptized b is baptized but non-catechized and okay. then c is baptized and well catechized okay right so c that group i take them and do inclusion with and it's a 10-week deep dive into the differences between catholicism and Protestantism mm-hmm. and we've had Orthodox and whatnot come through as well, but okay. it's, it's principally, you know, we are in Texas, Baptist, non-denoms, yeah. uh, charismatic groups. And yeah. so we just explore and I allow them to shout, yell, object, do whatever. Uh-huh. And we explore these questions of, of difference without drinking hater aid. And, uh, you know, I'm not here to hate on the Protestants. I've learned too much to be able to do that from them. So, um, I'm importing this, recording these videos so that they can be used in Texas prisons. Nice. And uh, Colby Ministry is kind of helping out with it, but it's really a project of St. Anthony's and the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston, and working with their corrections office. And then once they give the approval, the idea is this. They'll give the approval, uh-huh. and then this approval will get uh, another layer of approval from the wardens and the chaplaincy corps. And once it has that, it'll be in all 110 prisons. Wow. Yeah. So, And we want to do it as cheaply and uh, as possible because uh-huh. one of the things you realize is to get really high quality stuff like the stuff that Ascension Press points puts out and yeah. uh, you know I'm partners with them um, it becomes very difficult to get that content into the prisons now they're very generous like their warehouses when they redesign stuff they have mm-hmm. warehouses of old stuff yeah they donate them now to me well to to the groups that I'm affiliated with so we can get into the prisons very cheaply but I want to create all new stuff that I'm seeing that I'm responding to in a weekly basis monthly uh-huh. basis. Uh-huh. And so that's it. It's it's a lot of like, why do Catholics believe in the papacy? Uh, you know, apostolic succession. Why do you pit? You know, what do Catholics teach about scripture and church authority and stuff? So it's a lot of that. You know, Mary, communion of saints, grace, forgiveness, reconciliation, justification. Well, well then, all, all this stuff that you've got going on. Yeah. Have you ever thought of leaving your position here at St. Anthony? And every day I dream. <laughs> A girl can dream. Uh, it's always a temptation, but I say this to people all the time. Like I, I have a lot of friends. I do the Catholic speaker circuit. I travel about once a month, uh-huh. sometimes twice. Um, I do it, but here's the deal. There is a difference between speaking from a stage and ministering in people's daily life. Mm. And I tell you, I say this to people all the time. Um, so I, I'll give a men's session at a Steubenville youth conference, right? These teenage boys and they're all pubescent and, you know, all, uh-huh. I love them, but they are, you know, you have these group of kids that are waiting for you at the end of the stage to talk to you. And so I started this my first year when I ever did a men's session and this kid comes up and he's like, can I um, talk to you about this? And I said, no. And the guy's like, what? And I go, unless you promise me you will talk to at least one non 
uh, at least one caring adult back home. Mm. I almost said non-parent, but I didn't mean that. One uh, parent, uh, adult back home who That's, cares about uh-huh. you that can walk with you. Because if you're here to get a cathartic experience from the guy at the stage, uh-huh. like this means nothing. You're going to have an emotional reaction. You're going to go home. Maybe I'll give you something to think about, but who's walking with you? Yeah. Life change requires community. Yeah. Right? It does. And so, um, you know, the, there's a line from Protestant pastor um, Rick Warren. He says, if you want to be forgiven, go to confession. I don't think he was talking about Catholic confession, but it works even better for us. If you want to be forgiven, go to confession. If you want to be transformed, you have to go to community. And I think communion is a part of community. Yeah. And this notion of um, just giving talks is what some people are called to, right? And mm-hmm. some people are definitely like Jason yeah. Everett, when he gives a talk, lives change, you know, all this stuff. Awesome. But discipling people has to be something more because I notice, I don't know about you, but when I give a talk, it's usually one of the 10 talks I give all the time. So uh-huh. if I got it down. I got my funny jokes. Mm. You could set your watch to them. And when I get off the stage or I, you know, whatever, people just want to say, thank, oh my gosh, that was great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh-huh. So I get all these affirmations and then I get my car, go to a hotel and the next day I'm on an airplane. Yeah. But what about walking with the husband who yeah. is just was abandoned by his wife? Uh-huh. You know, what about walking through the couple dealing with a pornography addiction, you know, or mm-hmm. whatever it might be, or kids who are cutting themselves or whatever. Like I, d- here's the deal. I don't want to walk with people through that. Cause it's exhausting. <laughs> people are exhausting, but it's worth it. Uh huh. And so that's why I stay. That's why you, I stay. Cause of the work that you do at the ground roots. Yeah, Cause you see it. Yeah. Like it, it's hard to see the light come on in someone's eye because you've invested You've done the good work. You were stewards uh-huh. of the mysteries of Christ, right? You've done the good work. You've been the ambassador. You've given them what they can, uh-huh. and then they respond. And then they're off. Like, they're off to the races. They're learning. Uh-huh. They're doing. And it's such a game changer, right, to be someone who got to be a discipler, right? There's a million ways that we all contribute to that, right? I don't want to sit there and say that people with YouTube channels or people with um, podcasts or people with whatever aren't doing this. We're all – you know, the, the great analogy from Dr. Carol Brown is it's like, uh, uh, what do you call them? Like food, food, whatever on the sides of roads, you know, like they'll have like fruit displayed uh-huh. food yeah. stands, fruit stands. Then you drive by and you see the first one. And you're like, who would pull over for peaches? Like you keep driving. Uh, yeah. By the time you see the third one, you're like, okay, well like a peach would actually send a nice day out. <laughs> a peach, it could be quite refreshing. Yeah. <laughs> and then you pull over at the fourth or fifth one. And the idea is this, you know, the first through fifth or fourth, you know, they never saw the fruit of their labor, but if it wasn't for the fourth or the fifth, I never would have pulled over to the fifth one. Right. Yeah. It, yeah. And, and that's the thing that I think people miss in evangelization. Like you're a catalyst. You gave a talk and that's a catalyst mm-hmm. and they'll tell you nice things about you at the bottom of the stage or, or afterwards in the parish basement when you're selling your books or whatever, which I don't have any books to sell. Um, but to be that fifth, you know, fruit stand, uh-huh. it's awesome. Right. To be there with someone. Speaking to tens of thousands is cool, but baptizing someone, you know, like standing here, yeah, right out, you know, on Easter yeah. vigil, and someone's getting dunked, and you know, you hear the words, like, and awesome. you're a part of their lives, yeah, yeah, yeah. and they're godparents for crying out loud for a lot of these people, yeah, you know, or their confirmation sponsor. I'm uh-huh. a part of their process, so uh, that's what keeps me here. What keeps me here is one number one, the church is my family. Um, to be rooted, like you were saying with Saint Faustina's, like. Where do you go that you're going to get this kind of community? Mm-hmm. You know, and people need to think about that. I had a diocese 
that will go nameless offer me a job. And they said, we want you to be the director of evangelization for the diocese. Uh-huh. And I said, no, immediately. And they were like, what? But this is like the next step. It's, you know, uh-huh. parish, all this stuff. Uh-huh. It'll give you a national platform. You can still speak and do all that stuff. And I said, okay, I have this woman named Angie. And she comes over to my house, uh, you know, a couple times a week. She didn't ask. She just shows up with her baby in a stroller, uh-huh. makes herself a cup of coffee, makes one for my wife. And they sit for an hour. Mm-hmm. And they have a wonderful conversation. Then she goes home. I was like, how much does that cost? How much are you going to pay me to replace my wife having that kind of community? Mm. And we don't think about this. Yeah. But when people are miserable when they move to new places, they're miserable not because of the money or the house. They're miserable because of the community, the lack thereof. So I always tell people, like, if you find that in, in your local Catholic church, you found gold. So don't mm-hmm. don't leave it. Don't leave it for a career. Mm-hmm. Right? Your career might be awesome. Congratulations. Your name is in lights. But now you're miserable. Yeah. Come on. So have you been offered, aside from other, you know, archdioceses around the Houston area, have other churches approached you and said, hey, you know, we want you to start? I, uh, no, no. I They approach me now. It's funny. Like, I always joke a prophet is not without honor except in his own home. Uh, because I never do stuff, like, for the diocese except for young adult stuff. But uh-huh. now parishes, like, this has been my favorite thing since COVID. People are like, well, we don't have any budget anymore to fly people. And they're like, who do we know in in the ah. Houston area that can drive? <laughs> so I do. I do stuff. St. Cecilia's, I, like, give the, the Salvation History talk to their RCIA group. It's, uh-huh. like, one of my favorite things. I've done stuff at St. Martha's. I do, like, little trainings and stuff for staffs. But um, honestly, my um, – it is hard to beat the setup of St. Anthony's in the Woodlands in terms of career. Right. It's hard. Mm. I, I don't think the archdiocese could pay me what they pay me here. And so I'm like, well, to whom shall I go? You have the money that pays for my earthly life. Right. So, uh, no, I mean, I, uh, I it has literally been the only people that offer me jobs are people from outside the diocese. Because mm. I think inside the diocese, I kind of know. Like, it's hard to outbid someone from St. Anthony's. <laughs> and plus my family's here. What, are we got to travel now? Yeah. No, thank you. Look, I got to get on 45. I just moved across town during the worst (laughs) housing market to get away from 45. I like my bubble. Thank you so much for having us out here and for sharing with us your story. Yeah. Well, thank you for doing this in the cry room. It was so awesome. We got this awesome backdrop of the church. Oh, yeah. It's fantastic. I get the, No one can hear us in the I always get envious room. when we visit churches that are already completely built. Yeah. Oh, man. I look around I'm like, when are we going to have something like this? Yeah. One day we'll stop meeting in a gym or a cafeteria. That's what we did when I was in high school. Before this building was built 23 years ago, we uh-huh. were meeting in Oak Ridge High School cafeteria. Mm. So we call it St. Oak Ridge. And I just remember, you know, you go to church and you're just like, okay. Another day at the cafeteria. But it was also <laughs> exciting, right? Like you're building yes. something new. Yeah, that's that's what really got a lot of the the community. Yeah. You know, it's from the ground up. Yeah. Yeah, so ho- hopefully someday soon we'll be, you know, have something like this, a setup like this. Yeah, four walls and a roof, right? <laughs> and awesome. have a studio like the one you guys have. Nice. Yeah. Our studio is funny because it is. it used to be an office that they knocked down a couple walls so that we could have one space set up that we could just leave. And you like yes. you have all this equipment is so <laughs> annoying to have to move and set to up, set it up, and everything. Yeah. Once you dial it in, it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Yeah. Thank you so much. Yep, and God bless you and all the work that that you do. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Appreciate it.